Thanks, Pastor. He's probably more excited about it than I am. <laughs> you know, uh, when you're up here, there's a lot of folks out there, and I've never been able to get over the anxiety of preaching. Sometimes once you get into it, it goes away for a little while, and that's a wonderful thing, but sometimes it doesn't. Kind of nervous when you look over and see my wife and Miss Pam and Miss Angie, all three of them over there, so... With the Jeff, make sure they don't have any firecrackers or anything. And one time at Eastland Baptist Church, this is true stuff. I'm, I'm preaching and I'm just kind of winding things down at the end. And my wife is sitting like right over here. And there's a, a boy sitting by her about five or six years old. It's Frank Rhodes' little boy back then. And something like a firecracker went off. And I looked over there and my wife's got this look on her face. And so does he. You know these little things you used to buy and you throw them down they'd pop? <laughs> Well, he had some in his shirt pocket. <laughs> she was over there, what's that in your pocket? <laughs> Squeezed one of them and away she went, you know, so. <laughs> but I guess humor's a good thing. Well, I've enjoyed every uh, time I've been able to come to Southwest Baptist Church and um, I hope you realize what a great influence. You're the flagship church of the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship. And I don't know if you know what that means, but anybody's been in a military, especially in the Navy, you'd know what the flagship is. It's just what you kind of keep an eye on. And you've done a wonderful job. I, I want to first of all, thank you for that. I'm thankful uh, for the opportunity that pastor has given me to be here and also to kind of fill in as pastor in residence for a while. And I want to thank you students. Uh, God bless you. We've enjoyed it. Everything we've seen, everyone we've talked to, and um, so many of us that are maybe up in age, we're passing it all off to you someday. And I have all confidence. And I'm not a stranger to education and been in different schools. And so I've, I've been in different Bible colleges. And I know uh, for a fact that uh, Heartland is above the average in the academics and the spirit and everything that's going on. And I'm just a totally and completely sold on it. And I think it's just a blessing for me to even have a part in it. And I want to say if I can ever be a help. Sometimes I hear about young people that leave the ministry and they say, nobody cares. I don't want to call you a liar, but it's close. Because it's not true. And I've said, I think in every class, if any have ever sat in those, it's been a while back now, um, you call. If I don't answer, you leave a message, I'll call back. And I'm not the only one that'll do that. And so we thank God for you and you've got to make it. You just got to make it. Pastor graciously offered to take us to for a meal after the service tonight, but Ms. Chrissy Weininger had already taken care of that with a chicken pot pie and some other things. And so whatever else happens up here, I won't starve before the service is over. And not really probably a, a long preacher in that respect either. Well, somebody asked me tonight uh, what the text was, and I said, well, which, which one of the texts do you want? And, I do like to do expository preaching, and I think it's the primary way to preach through the Word of God, but tonight isn't one of those. I think it's healthy for pastors to go through books in the Bible. That's what I did at Eastland Baptist Church for those 30 years, but I suppose every pastor will have a subject or a text he'll read. It just begins to work on you, right. and the weeks and the months, and in this case, maybe years go by, and every time you read it, you look at it and stop for a little while, and you think, you know, I know there's something here I need to be paying more attention to, and it just takes a while to germinate. I don't know what to say, but that's what this is kind of the result of. And so, just so you can find the first couple of texts we're going to use, be Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. 
if you would go ahead and find that. And in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3, don't stand yet. Uh, in just a moment, we'll do that. And tonight, I just want to address an extremely important subject for all of us that I think probably is not necessarily easy for most of us. And that would be soul winning, outreach, evangelism, whatever you want to call it. And sometimes I think when that happens, or maybe anytime something's preached in a church, we receive it as a group. That's not what I want. I want you to receive it as if you're the only person sitting in this auditorium tonight and try to make that as personable or personal as I possibly can. So if you could stand, that'd be wonderful. Let's read a couple of verses and then we can look at some others a little bit later on. But in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30, the Bible says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. I like fruit and probably my favorite is a peach <laughs> if it's a good one. We had a man in our church named Clint Watts. Well, he gave some money to school a while back and he had a ranch and a farm down in the Eufaula area. He actually had it one time um, close to like 11,000 peach trees, orchards, and they were so good. Wayne was little. I remember I was going down and we just pulled those off. And I, I ate them to the, just looking at the fuzz made my teeth hurt. I mean, and I ate them skin and all, Pastor. And Wayne would eat them and the juice is running down his arm. And he was too young to know, but he knew these peaches were not like the ones in the store. He said, Dad, there's a conspiracy. <laughs> I said, well, son, I don't think that's exactly what it is, but I, I agree with you. There's something wrong here. They're really good. See, the point about fruit, but look at the fruit of the righteous. It's tree of life. We need to be that, you know, for some people. That would be a wonderful thing that we could. And then on over to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. And of course, there would be many verses when we look at all of them. Verse 3 of Daniel 12. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for the opportunity we can come together. I just love being in your house and with your people. And I can't wait till all of us gather together. A, a crowd, according to Revelation chapter 7, that cannot be numbered of every tongue and every nation, of just all kinds. It cannot even be numbered. What a great time that's going to be. But we have work to do uh, until that time comes. Lord, you know my heart and the verses I have, and I may not can bring forth from it what I'd like, but you can help me. And Holy Spirit, I know that you have the way to make each text very personal. And you did that for me so much when I was a young Christian and um, applied it to my life, and I thank you. So I pray tonight you'd illumine our hearts and our minds so we could understand Bible truth. And as we understand it, then we'd realize it's incumbent on us to adhere to it. To know to do good and doeth it not, Scripture says it becomes sin. And certainly that's the opposite of what we want. So have your perfect way. 
whatever can be accomplished, give you all the glory and all the praise. And we ask it in the most gracious name for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated then. Well, I'm going to try for a universal amen too. You know, some preachers you say are always looking for an amen. Well, there's nothing wrong with them. As a matter of fact, they're in the Bible quite a bit. <laughs> a lot of people who've read them have never said them. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know if you realize this, those of you that never exercise that great privilege that we have. Um, but when the preacher's up preaching and you have people that are maybe um, lost or maybe they don't know much about God or don't know anything about God's Word and he's proclaiming the truth of God and no one ever says amen, then that suggests to that person that he's the only one that believes it. And I think that's the reason amen is there because it simply means true or that's right. And so, well, I know I, you don't need to say it so much all the time. They can't hear him preach, but I'm just saying you, you are confirming what the man of God is saying. And if he's not saying something that's true, then you don't need to say it. But I mean, I don't think God put amen in here. I think some people think it's just to justify the margins in the Bible and square it off. But just remember when the pastor or the missionary, the evangelist preaching his heart out, and you never say amen. Whatever fruit comes forward that night, you might not get much of that. Brother, what's that old song? Brethren, we have met to worship and to adore the Lord our God. What a great song. What's the next part? Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? You think it's easy up here? <laughs> you say, well, some people it must be. I don't know if it's really easy for anyone. What I want to say is, I don't want to wear the road out, but the word out, but it's a team effort. Every time people are saved here and everybody in this church that are involved in it, God keeps good records. And I guarantee you, they don't all come towards a person doing the speaking. God knows who's doing what and who is, is really on board. So now for my amen for a universal statement. So I've tried to be a good witness down through the years. And I've not tried to count how many have been saved. I guess that's all right. I don't know if that's like notches on a gun or whatever it's supposed to be or something like that, but I've not done it. And then, of course, there's been X number saved from meetings I've been in, missions, conferences, revivals, whatever. I'm not talking about those. I'm trying to make this intensely personal. Not, I'm talking about the ones that I reached one on one. So here'd be my statement. I hope you can agree with me at the end. I'll, give you, I'll just tell you when to say amen. I am thankful for everyone who's been saved. I can't wait to see them. Some of them are gone. I can't wait to see them. But it, as many as have been saved, it's not near as many as I wish had been saved. How about an amen? amen. If you can't say that amen, you for sure need to spend a lot of time at the altar because all those who have been saved and know what God's done for them say, oh Lord, everybody that I meet, every friend that I have, if it were possible, give me a chance uh, to do something for them if I possibly can. The title uh, or proposition for my message tonight is um, It Happened at Work. Yeah, I can see your wheels turning now. What? <laughs> a lot of things happen at work. 
Witnessing has never been easy for me. I've often said if I was a traveling salesman, I'd starve to death a long time ago. I wouldn't be here tonight. The best place for me has always been pastor at work. That's all I can say. I guess we all know our own story better than we do anybody else's story. And so maybe tonight this is part of my story and my journey. So I remember after being out of the Navy about five years and I'm, my first few years at Eastland Baptist Church and I loved that 30 years there. Uh, I said to my wife one day, I said, "Hun, I, I really am missing being in the Navy. And she gave me this, you know, they got this look. Did yours have that look? You got the look. Which meant... I don't understand that and I can't believe you said it. <laughs> she said, you were gone months at a time. I said, oh, I didn't like that part. So what is it that you miss about the Navy? I said, every time I turned around, I bumped into a lost person. Now, if you'll ever get on a submarine and go to the one, the batfish down and smoke and figure 75 men on it, and you'll say, I just wonder you could turn around at all. <laughs> I bumped into a lost person. And then I started pastoring and I loved it. Right. I, some of you will confuse what I'm saying and probably say it the wrong way later. I can't help that. And you'll say, well, you love being with them better than you do with us. I, I love the people of Eastland Baptist Church. I love being a shepherd. But the more you have to shepherd the fewer numbers you have time to be with that are lost. Have you ever considered that? That my fishing hole got smaller and smaller and smaller. You know who the, the people are that have the best opportunity to reach the lost? The people that you just won to the Lord. Because they come from a world of lost people. They're still in contact with them. And it's so important to, to grab them right off and see if maybe they can lead you to some of those places. Now, I believe I have a little bit of support um, out of the Bible about uh, work. And if you turn into Luke chapter 20 uh, for just a, a moment or two. <clears throat> and so the Pharisees are up to their old tricks and they've been trying this for a while. They want to see if they can trip Jesus up. Now that's futile. Yes. But that's not only futile for the Pharisees, it's futile for Baptists too. You're not going to do it. So in Luke chapter 20, and verse, we'll start at verse 21. And they ask him saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly. Neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness, and he always does, and said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Show me a penny. Whose uh, image, and of course with the word would be icon, used to, people didn't realize that word was icon, but now it's all over the computer, so I guess it's pretty popular now. So whose image or icon and superscription hath it? And uh, they said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And they could not take hold of his words. I love that. <laughs> 
their brain, as J.R. McDonald said, if you put it in a hummingbird, it'd fly upside down. But <laughs> you're never going to be able to take hold of everything that God tells us. Wouldn't it be wonderful? And they, they could not take hold of his words before the people. And they marveled at his answer. And this is the first smart thing they'd done in a long time. They held their peace. It probably wasn't good for them to say much more. So let's try to duplicate that just a little. And since he said penny and realized it wasn't a penny back then, then I, I have a penny uh, here tonight too. Can y'all on the back row see this and give me the date on it? Or no, anybody can't do that. So you can't really see this, but, but you know what's on a penny, don't you? You know whose image is on there? Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln's the one that made the statement. God must have loved the common people. He made a bunch. <laughs> You've got it. And I hate to inform you, but that's where most of us are. Isn't that good, though? We're just, just common people. So then he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. But how many icons do we have here? I can see, I can even smell it now. There's like electric wire burning up there. It's really <laughs> a two. We have one here of Abraham Lincoln. And we have another one. And I'm made in the image of God. And they were having a hard time putting all of that together. Now, when you think about commerce, and God is for commerce, people say, if it hadn't been for the fall, Adam would have never had to work. You're absolutely wrong and don't know your Bible. The Bible says he put him there to dress and keep that garden. He was a farmer, so to speak. There's another guy that preached up here that used to work at a farm or something, wasn't it? <laughs> and the Bible even says in the New Testament, if you don't work, then you ought not eat. So commerce, the commerce beginning primarily was the trading back and forth of goods. So, you know, one person might be a farmer, another one could have sheep or this or that. And so those things begin to happen early on. Or one farmer might grow one crop and the other one might grow another. And so they would trade back and forth. Some, some people call that would be bartering or something. But it's commerce. It's business. And when you change goods, however way, and, and then that became hard to do. So in comes money. We can use money. Currency. And so the, another thing they thought they could do while they're doing that, now that they would have something they could pass between them, they didn't have TV, obviously. <laughs> they didn't have pictures. They couldn't take pictures and things like that. Uh, but the king, you know, would like for people to know who he was. So they put his image on it. In other words, commerce was used in order for the people to know who the king is. If that's true with a coin that's worth very little and not very long, and besides, this thing can't talk, it can't do anything. But we really know the power of it and what it can do. What about this one? We're talking about it happened at work. Do you think work and commerce somehow are closely related Everybody you work with knows about Abraham Lincoln. 
He can't talk though. It's just a piece of metal with his stamp on it. You can talk. You can think. What if we could have an Abraham Lincoln this tall that literally was a little tiny person? What would the value? I mean, it'd be unbelievable what we'd think of that. And we can do all of that. How is it that a penny that can't talk has made its way into people's hearts and minds better than me and you? Do you carry an icon in your pocket that you can quickly share with people and they've got it, but what you're really the icon for has not been done? Everybody here most likely has worked someplace. And many are. And you will. And not to leave somebody out. When you talk about commerce, you don't necessarily just have to or think about reaching people in your workplace, but you go to workplaces to buy stuff and to get things done, and you see some of the same people over and over and over and over. I remember reading in a Reader's Digest years ago how that somewhere out in the Sahara Desert, um, where nobody lived and really nobody traveled, that's the reason they wanted to go there. And they found some uh, flat, big flat rocks, mostly covered by sand, but sticking out a little bit. So that's caught their interest. And they checked it real close and got to looking under it and found under those flat rocks some little tiny flowers. As a matter of fact, they were so tiny that you couldn't see them with the naked eye. But they looked enough that they still saw them, you know, with a microscope. And they said they were beautiful. You said, well, now we got these beautiful flowers in the Sahara Desert where nobody goes and under a rock where you'd never see them and they're so small you couldn't see them anyway, but they're beautiful. Now, who would do anything like that? Only one person. Now, keep your brain going for a little bit. If God would go to that much trouble to make a beautiful flower that someone may never see, you're going to stand and tell me that you work where you work because you just happen to get that job when there's eternal souls that God wants to reach there? You know better than that. We all know better than that. Fact is, this universe is only going to produce one product. When it's all said and done, there's one product, a people for God. And then he'll destroy this world and everything else we've ever seen and make a new one. It happened at work. That just comes into my, my mind so much. Mark chapter 1. And you know, as we get into the synoptic gospels, and of course you understand the word synoptic, S-Y-N, meaning with, like synchronize or synagogue, together we go, um, something like that. So I think you know those. But in, John's not there, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke pretty much talking about the same things, but be, it's like someone being in a different location or like uh, an intersection where an accident takes place. You've got people on different corners and they may have a different view of it, but it's the same idea right. what's going on. So we're just going to kind of use Mark here just for a little bit. So in Mark chapter one and verse 16, now as he, Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, 
He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. So what was their, their job, their employment was they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. So they were fishermen and they were fishing. So what just happened, happened where? At, at work. Hold it. Let's do it one more time. It happened where? At work? At work. I just love you to give part of it. You know why I want you to say it? Because you probably work someplace. You know the person that can preach you the meanest sermon you've ever heard? That dude in the mirror. If he wants to. And I, and I don't know if you've done it. I've talked to mine pretty good. <laughs> uh, several times. I just, it happened at work. Verse 19 of the same chapter. And when he had gone a little farther thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. And where are they? At work? At work. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. So we had actually Simon Peter, you know, and then Andrew, and now we've got James and John. Uh, we're talking about major players. I mean, I'm not sure where Christianity is. These men are major players. And according to this text, they were found at work. What if you'd have been there instead of Jesus? What would you have said? What would have I have said? We would have never thought what God might use them for someday, but none of us know. Like the guy that won deal Moody the Lord in the back of a shoe store. A Sunday school teacher, and it wasn't a preacher or pastor, but, but you know, it, it happened. Probably if you turn the page, maybe in your Bible, in mine is just one page, it's chapter 2, in verse 13. In verse 13 of chapter 2 of Mark, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. Now, he didn't work with Levi. This I'm referring a while ago to where you go for your commerce and to have things done and buy things. And he passed by, he saw Levi. This would be Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. Now, he was at a, a post where they took in customs when the caravans would go from Damascus down to the Mediterranean Sea, and he was a tax collector, which I don't know anybody that likes them. And he collected that tax because the Caesar or whoever was in charge at that time would tell him to, and then they would usually add some of their own. But the point, he was sitting at the seat of custom, which means he was where, at where? work. Now, if you just follow, have you followed the trail of Jesus? Where's he finding his fish? At work. Now, I've often wondered at Eastland Baptist Church, I used to wonder all the time and that we would have Thursday and Saturday was our premier days for the congregation, for the great, you know, we visit all the time somewhat. Thursday nights and Saturday and I think sometimes, Pastor, about work. Why don't we go stand, and I'm, I'm for that. Don't misunderstand me. Make sure I'm not misunderstood. We did that faithfully. Right. 
And I've never been comfortable. And like I said, I'd never make a good salesman. So I did. I did. I visited because the Bible said so. And I saw the results. But I couldn't ever figure out in my head why we would go do that and not bring the people from work. Why would we do that with people we've never seen before when we've got people around us, we're with them 40 hours a week? Why? I don't like to think about some of the reasons. One of them could be that our testimony at work doesn't help. And I want to say to you, this book says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. You need to be a better employee than anybody else on that job. Because they're watching. You need to have a decent spirit about you. A helpful spirit. A kind and gracious spirit. But that may be the reason. I don't know the reason. I'm just saying Jesus found him at work. And uh, I think others have found them at work too. Then I just want to do some personal ones and I, I hope it's okay to do that. So first of all, in my own testimony, and I think I may have mentioned it before, I'm sure I probably have, I don't go too many places, but at 14 years of age, I had what I thought was my first decent job and that was sacking groceries. And when I was sacking groceries at Buddy's Supermarket in um, Arlington, Texas, I was 14 and my wife's stepbrother worked there. He stocked groceries and, uh, and I would sack them when the ladies would. And by the way, those ladies knew how to check out groceries. I'd have to have some older people help me here, but they can do a 10 key on a cash register and never look at it. And it's just like, I mean, just like this. it's going just like this. Not beep, you know. And, <laughs> and you know what kind of novel thing they did back then? Had the price on the can. Can you believe that? Who would have ever thought of that? You didn't have to go find anybody. <laughs> you know. Just amazing. We called him Red because he was redheaded. His name was Red Fulmer. And he started bugging me about going to church. I was already going to church. I was raised in the Church of Christ. They have doctrinal issues. I didn't get saved there. I was never under conviction. But I did learn a lot about the Bible. I want to be fair with him. I learned a lot about the Bible. I'd never been to a Baptist church. But he stayed on me until I finally went with him on a Sunday morning. And on that Sunday night... And the next Sunday morning, and that Sunday night, and that night I got saved. But I got saved because of somebody at it happened at work. I'm going to vary off to the side just a little because this is strange, but it's my story. And so it maybe only would fit me. But when I got on board that submarine, I... I've only been saved three years. And sometimes the baby Christians, they're the most fantastic. Baby Christians don't know what to do with anything other than what the Bible says. It's not until people have been saved later that they know better. Come up with stuff. So I'm on the submarine and I'm thinking, you live on a submarine like you live right here at Southwest Baptist Church and Heartland Baptist Bible College. And I'm, you know, just the way you do it. But after three or four months of Someone said, Hardy, the captain and executive officer want to see you in the wardroom. That didn't sound good to me. 
but when the captain calls, you go. <laughs> and so he said, Hardy, I've been watching you. So the captain, the executive officer, um, they're both lost men. And I don't know that they ever knew the Lord. And he asked me four questions. He said, first, you don't, you don't do drugs, do you? I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, you don't drink. I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, you don't even smoke. I said, no, sir, I don't. The fourth question was, you don't have any girl pictures on your locker. You know, sailors loved having these girl pictures on their lockers. That's a lost man asking these questions. Wow. And then he said, I want you to hold religious services on this submarine when it's at sea. I jokingly say, someone said, how do you get into the ministry? I said, oh, a lost man called me into the ministry. <laughs> the truth is, a lost man ordered me. <laughs> Captains can legally, I'm legally, when that ship's at sea, marry and bury, and I was already married. There wasn't but one thing left, Pastor, so that wasn't <laughs> Think of the standard that the lost people had. Let's go back to work. I just got there. He had 75 men on there and a few that said they were, later on I found that, said they were Christians. I don't know. I'm just thankful that some good things have happened to me at work. So then maybe it's possible things could happen to others. This last week, um, Mrs. Lee Ingram had a chance to be on the campus for a little while. And Brother Copes and them allowed up to use the Boonstra house. Or, so I want to tell you about Lee Ingram. So when I got out of the Navy I, in 1966, I went to work at Bell Helicopter in Fort Worth, Texas. And, uh, and I, I can't take the time, but it's a big, I mean, big rooms. Big as this, some, some of them probably bigger. And the Vietnam War was hot and heavy. And so we had like, I'm just so Baptist will understand it, a folding table. Y'all got it, right? <laughs> uh, and, and they're probably about six foot instead of eight feet. And so, I mean, they'd be lined up all the way across here. And then about another four feet, and there'd be another row lined up. Be like these pews, except it'd be folding tables, just all. And, and there would be a backboard, like a four-bait piece of plywood. So the next row over, I couldn't see it. And the reason that backboard was there is because we had clips, we'd put our schematics on it for putting electronic parts together. I'd tell you I had electronics and electricity in the Navy, and so that's what I would do. And so you'd put it up there and you'd have a box with all the parts and put it together. You could see to the guy to your right, you see the guy to your left because it was long, but you could not see the person behind you. And I had met Lee Ingram and I had talked to him and he used to have a burr haircut and scratch his head all the time. And, and he didn't have any trouble telling you when to get on and get off. And so he had told me a couple times where to get off. And I, so I thought, okay, yeah, I made an effort. But at lunchtime, we had 30 minutes, and I had my little lunch bucket. I always smelled like a peanut butter sandwich and a banana. What do you think? I remember that now. And you could talk to somebody during your lunch break. So one day, there was a guy sitting to my right. We, I remember him. He's a tall, lanky guy. We called him Tapeworm. <laughs> We thought it's worthless to feed him. I mean, he eats like a horse, but he never <laughs> gains a pound, you know. And so I started talking to him about the Lord, and he let me go all the way through the plan of salvation. I mean, all the way. Listen to every bit of it. As far as I know, nothing ever happened. But God knows things you don't know. And behind that backboard where I couldn't see was Lee Ingram. And he heard every word. Wow. 
I didn't know until later that day, came up and he said, I'm going to church with you this Sunday. And I don't want to hear any more after that. I said, okay. Yeah. And when he got there, the Lord was waiting on him. And Lee Ingram got saved that Sunday. And he grew like a weed. Now I went off to Bible college. He was still at Bell Helicopter. A year later, God called him to preach. He came to Baptist Bible College a year behind me. Lee Ingram became such a close friend. When you lead people to the Lord, it's almost like your blood child. It's precious. I wouldn't trade those years. But it happened that What if I never said anything at work? I can't bear the thought of it. He's died of cancer. Been nearly 11 years now. But he's waiting. And we'll get there. Freddie England. So I'm in my third year at Baptist Bible College. And of course there's people sitting here that's been to Baptist Bible College. And Fieldhouse is a pretty big place. Seat about 5,000 with everything on the floor and up on the sides. And so it's a day we have chapel. And so we're in there for chapel and I'm just kind of getting situated. And I'm on the part just kind of where it comes up. I wasn't on the flat part here. I kind of, I think, fooling around with some notes, getting them ready for the speaker wasn't there yet. And students were all coming in. And a guy walked by and I thought, he looks familiar. And I thought, oh, well, you've only been here three years. You know about several hundred of them that look familiar. <laughs> And I, so I just turned back around and all of a sudden a guy just grabbed me by the shoulder and I turned around and I looked at him. It was a guy named Freddie England off my submarine. <laughs> Freddie, England's, Freddie England was a cook. Well, where we had services on the submarine was where we ate. You could get 24 people in there, four six-foot tables and six guys at each one. But right, you know, if, if, if there was a bulkhead, I mean, wall was right there. There'd be like a big window and right inside there was the galley or the kitchen. And they would hand the food out. And Freddie England said, the whole time I was on that submarine, I was on there two years with you and every Sunday I was captive. I had to be in cooking. Had to listen to every sermon you preach for two years. I said, yeah. He said, I never had the courage in the Navy. I heard enough about independent Baptist churches and when I got out, I went straight to an independent Baptist church and I got saved. And then he said, God called me to preach. Isn't this amazing? I didn't know he ever got saved and he didn't know I was at Baptist Bible College. You know who knows all this stuff? Graduated, went to Great Falls, Montana and started a church. It happened at... Yeah. You know, there's other men about in the submarine, but you don't have time. So I want to kind of move over a little bit to someone you may, some of you may would know. I want to talk to you about a guy named Walt Smith. He worked at General Motors in Flint, Michigan back in the mid-50s. I think it was about 1957. When this happened, there was a guy there named Rawls Celeste that was always talking to Walt about the Lord. Walt wasn't saved. His wife wasn't saved. He wasn't interested in going to church or anything like that. But Rawls Celeste would not leave him alone. 
And finally, out of desperation, he said, if I let you come out to our house and talk to me and my wife, will you leave us alone after that? He said, I will. If you'll let me come and talk to both of you, I'll do it. So we went out there and um, he won them both to the Lord. And so they're going to church together. And then Raul Celeste's pastor said, you know, we need another church on the other side of Flint. He said to Rawls, why don't you go over there and start a church? And he said, well, can I take Walt Smith with me? Because Walt was growing the Lord. He was a good soul winner. And uh, he took Walt over there and they started a church, which eventually came, became Great Lakes Baptist Temple that some of y'all might would be familiar with. One of Walt's kids was one of my best friends named Dan Smith out of Liverpool, New York, and my jogging buddy for a lot of years. Walt had 12 grandchildren. Ten of them went to Bible college. One of them's in Weatherford, Oklahoma. His Michigan's a long way off. I know, but God knows all the stuff. <laughs> He's in Weatherford, Oklahoma. His wife, Charity, is one of Walt Smith's grandchildren. One of them's over in Shawnee. His name is Rick McQueen. That's one of Walt's grandchildren. At Bible Baptist Church, there's Kobe McQueen, my son's secretary. That's one of Walt's grandchildren. Shauna Winter, Andrew Winter's wife, is one of Walt's grandchildren. And Dan McQueen. And Taylor. It happened. All those people I just mentioned that many of y'all knew and love and would die for would be on their way to hell, maybe. If somebody didn't do the job at work. I'm telling you, God has commerce for a reason. And it's not just for the penny. It's for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And you're not a dead image on a coin. You're a living person. And you have an obligation. But a great privilege too. When you think about that. And then if I were to just mention a little side thing here uh, that I just found out recently. So I wondered, is Great Lakes Baptist Temple still in operation? So I, I Googled it on my phone, and sure enough, <laughs> and I saw on there, the pastor's name is David Chittenden. I said, that's interesting. Were some of y'all out at the Sunday school thing last Saturday? Uh-huh. David Chittenden rode that orange bus that you saw. He was out of my Sunday school class. Isn't it amazing how God can put so many things together? When I got saved, that night I got saved, one reason I did was because of a song. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for all eternity. The sermon got me, but the song got me just as much. Music's so powerful, brother. Because every time he's saying, now I belong to Jesus, as a teenager, I said, in my heart said, I don't. But I settled it that yeah. night. But you know, there's another song that wasn't too long after that. I think God gave to me because the other one had done its work. Must I go and empty handed? Must I face 
my Savior so. Not one soul. Not one. With which to greet him. Must I empty and it go. I know you'd give me his car, you'd give you a house. He didn't want your car. God's people are his jewels. I'll beg you tonight to think about that. I think Mac can come down here just for a moment. You know, when you get to heaven, who do you want to see first? <laughs> well, I'm sure we want to see the Lord because none of us would be there. It wasn't for him. Well, purple, you're in the front, I pick on you. But who else do you want to see? I want to see my mom and dad. I want to see Lee Ingram, but that's fixing to bump into what I'm about to say. I'll tell you who you, one of the people you want to see when you get to heaven. A guy that comes up and says, I'm here because of you. Amen. Now, quickly, please. See the, first, the person's face that will say that to you. Please don't look at me like you don't have anybody. How old are you? How many pennies have you spent? How many times you passed out the king's image? He's not the real king. What about the others? Can you stand that? When you see him. So I'm going to make a request. And I plead with you. Get a worker's face in your mind right now. Because all of you can do it. Right. Do it. And then, maybe at the invitation time, whenever if you beg God for the opportunity to get your foot in the door. And start the process of winning them to Christ. Good. That could happen in this church. That's right. Everybody here could win one. Yep. And just know that God made commerce and everything. And because he made commerce, you've got a car and you've got a house. God's been good to you. Yes. God's been good to me. And he's asking you. He wants to see people saved. And you want to have that person up there waiting for you when you come. Could we just all stand? Heavenly Father, thank you for each one who is here tonight and faithfulness of your people to come. Lord, I, I, I want to reiterate the early part of the sermon I'm thankful for those who've been saved, but Lord, there's so many more. You open the door, just let me get my foot in, and some of the men off that submarine, they're, they're older. Lord, one of them's name is Jeter Brock. I've mentioned it from this pulpit before. He's going down quick, and he lives in Florida. And if his wife would give me the green light and just say, come, I'd be on an airplane. I sure want to see him saved. I can't believe there's a man or woman here that if they work a job someplace, 
doesn't care for the souls. And, and Lord, even though people are not friendly towards us sometimes, that should make us just love them all the more because they don't understand what real life is all about. And then if by chance or someone in this congregation tonight doesn't know for sure that heaven's their home, that could be settled. Lord, thank you for entrusting us with your image and the ability to have someone else be with you in eternity. Thank you for allowing us to be a greater ambassador than anybody in any country has ever had the privilege to be. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.